Good morning. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the March 2nd, 2023 regular meeting of the Government Audit and Oversight Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I'm Supervisor Dean Preston, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Supervisor Catherine Stephanie and uh, Supervisor Connie Chan. Uh, committee Clerk today is Stephanie Cabrera and uh, Thanks to our team at uh, SFGov TV for staffing this meeting. Madam Clerk, any announcements? Yes, thank you. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those who are watching, either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99, and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. The phone number is 415-655-0001. Again, that is 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter the meeting ID 2495 940 2203, then press pound twice. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and the public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak along the curtain wall, and those on the telephone should dial star three to also be added to the speaker queue. If you are on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices that you may be using. As already indicated, we will take public comment from those who are attending in person first, and then we will go to our public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to me, the Government Audit and Oversight Clerk, at stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, dot Cabrera, C as in California, A, B as in Bay, R-E-R-A, at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Finally, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of March 14th, unless otherwise stated. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, please call items one and two together. Item number one is a resolution receiving and approving the annual report for the Central Market Community Benefits District for calendar year 2021. Item number two is a resolution receiving and approving an annual report for the Civic Center Community Benefit District for calendar year 2021. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on either of these items should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2495-940-2203. Then press pound twice. If you have not done so already, please dial star three to line it to be added to the speaker queue. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait for the system to indicate that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, so for both of these items, uh, we'll be hearing first from uh, Chris Corgus, Program Director for uh, Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and then also from Tracy Everwine, who's the Executive Director of both of the CBDs that are before us, the Mid-Market CBD and the uh, Civic Center CBD. So to start us off, welcome, Mr. Corgus. The floor is yours. 
the Office of Economic Workforce Development, working on community benefit districts. I would like to thank and acknowledge um, our, my coworker, Mimi Haraki, who uh, did a lot of work on these two reports. Um, today we are working, uh, talking about the calendar year 2021 annual reports for the mid-market, also known as Central Market CBD, and the Civic Center CBD. Unlike most CBDs, these do operate on a calendar year and have historically operated on a calendar year. Um, as you may know, CBDs um, are governed by two sets of law, the first being the 1994 Act, which is Streets and Highways Code 36600 section, as well as our local law, which is Article 15 of the Business and Tax Regulations Code. Um, to review our process, OEWD ensures that all of our districts are meeting their management plans, our staff conduct an annual review of their annual reports and their CP CPA financials, and we provide a summary memo to the Board of Supervisors, which is in today's packet for you. Um, some basic information about both CBDs, they're both property-based CBDs. The mid-market's current assessment budget per their management plan is approximately $1.2 million with a fiscal year 2021 assessment roll of just about $1.7 million. The Civic Center's management plan assessment budget is approximately $3.1 million. And their fiscal year 2021 assessment roll submission uh, was also approximately $3.1 million. Um, these districts have been formed for a significant amount of time and have renewed and or been amended uh, various times before the Board of Supervisors. Mid-market will expire in 2028 and Civic Center will expire in 2034. The four benchmarks OEWD reviews for all property-based CBDs is benchmark one, whether the variance between the budget amounts for each service category is within 10 variance points from the management plan percentages. Benchmark two, whether the CBD meets its non-assessment revenue source requirement. Benchmark three, whether the variance between the budget amounts for each service category are within 10 variance percentage points from the fiscal actuals. And benchmark four, whether the CBD is indicating the amount of funds carried over from the current fiscal year being reported to the upcoming fiscal year. So for the mid-market CBD, they did not meet benchmark one and they met the other three benchmarks in this calendar year reporting period. Uh, the findings from the mid-market CBD are they missed benchmark one by 0.13% over the allowable 10 percentage points for the management and economic development service category. Um, annual reporting to OEWD was late due to the CBD's team being part of the Department of Emergency Management's Joint Field Operations Team. Uh, they, through a community challenge grant, were able to oversee landscaping upgrades to the Mint Plaza area. They issued a survey in the first quarter of 2021 to understand stakeholder priorities for the economic recovery. They, there were no reported violations of the Brown Act to OEWD. Uh, they complied with OEWD's memo regarding surveillance technology reporting. Uh, they have an active board and committee members, and they're well positioned to carry on their mission. Moving on to the Civic Center CBD, they did meet all four of their fiscal benchmarks OEWD reviews. And moving on to their findings and recommendations, once again, this C CBD's annual reporting period was late due to the team, it's the same management team for both CBDs, being part of the uh, Department of Emergency Management's Joint Field Operations Team as the State of Emergency in the Tenderloin in December 2021. They focused on increasing cleaning services in high traffic areas such as UN Plaza and Civic Center Plaza. They also issued a survey to their stakeholders to understand the priorities for economic recovery. They implemented several activations, I think most notably uh, the holiday tree lighting we always see in front of City Hall um, annually. There were no reported violations of the Brown Act within this reporting period to OEWD. 
They complied with OEWD's memo regarding surveillance technology reporting requirements. They do have an active board and community members, and they are well positioned to carry on its mission. Are there any questions for OEWD regarding um, the report OEWD prepared? And if not, I'd like to invite Ms. Everwine over to um, her portion of the presentation. Let's go ahead with, uh, with the presentation uh, from Ms. Everwine, and then we can take up any questions after that. Welcome. Good morning, Supervisors. Tracy Everwine, Executive Director of the Mid-Market Community Benefit District. Just have some slides to share with you this morning in addition to Chris's presentation. Um, this is a map of our district on an angle. Um, our district essentially runs from uh, the west side of 5th Street all the way down to uh, South Van Ness along the south side of Market Street down to Mission. And then our 6th Street corridor actually goes all the way down to Folsom. Our core services are cleaning and maintenance, public safety, and economic development support. Uh, we are out there seven days a week, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And I wanted to illustrate uh, some ongoing challenges to our work that I know are, are not new to you. Um, Post-pandemic drug dealing, open-air drug use, sidewalk encampments, and illegal vending, most often of stolen merchandise, um, have gotten significantly worse uh, since the pandemic. So our work is um, you know, doing its best, providing um, regular services, still sanitizing touch points, um, maintaining sidewalks, which is property owner responsibility, not public works. Uh, you can see the amount of grime that's built up here in front of the melt uh, in just about a week that we're taking care of. And then we're doing um, some pretty extraordinary cleaning work. Um, as evidenced in this one instance uh, down on 6th Street. This image on the left is from Market Street just outside Sam's Restaurant and another um, pretty extraordinary incident down on 6th Street, which is pretty much the norm on a daily basis down there. We have a pretty robust um, Big Belly Trash Receptacle uh, program throughout the district. Unfortunately, due to excessive vandalism, uh, including uh, theft of the solar components, arson, and uh, this year we had um, drug dealers actually take over these units uh, to store drugs, so they were not in possession of them, um, and told our staff to stay away from these cans. So we're going to be disbanding this program in May. Um, these cans, are $6,000 a piece to replace. And we just can't, we simply can't afford to sustain the program anymore, even with um, city grants as support. Uh, in terms of public safety, our ambassadors are out there providing directions and referrals, significant merchant support, um, resident support. As you know, um, Midmarket's home to 40 single-room occupancy hotels and several affordable housing sites that have woefully insufficient, you know, community space inside those buildings. So uh, the sidewalk becomes people's place to recreate. So uh, uh, it's a great opportunity, though, for our ambassadors to get to know the community members. Uh, and then we're also providing, as you know, a significant amount of social service outreach. 
performing wellness checks all the time and calling emergency services when needed and offering social services um, when needed. And you know, the hope is that they will be accepted uh, more often than not. Unfortunately, they are not. And in instances like this, um, uh, there's not much our ambassadors can do but to make sure that people in this condition are not victimized um, and that passers-by um, know that we're there to, to help you know, make them feel safer. <clears throat> Given the growing number of encampments on sidewalks, um, we have increased number of fires happening out there. So we're usually the first on the scene if it's during our hours of operation reporting this to the property owners and, and uh, the fire department, law enforcement, and then helping to uh, clean up afterwards. We're also typically the first on the scene to spot break-ins. So we've done an, we do an ex, you know, a, a really good job of letting property owners know when we find that you know, their, their building's been penetrated and reach out proactively to make sure that vacant buildings in particular are secure. This is one building that had been broken into several times on Market Street. This is the old Kaplan's Army Surplus store. Um, and the, the metal gate no longer came down because the electrical components had been stolen from it. So, um, yeah, in addition to people often living in the, door, in the storefront, they were also getting inside the building, and we were very concerned about fire risk. We deploy uh, co-responder safety teams. This is when we partner one of our ambassadors with a 10B officer. This is probably the most effective thing we do with regard to public safety. Unfortunately, given our officer shortages, we're not always able to fill those shifts. Um, but it, it's, it's great when we have the officers. We also have um, public safety cameras throughout the district. Um, they're woefully underutilized by law enforcement. Um, we're more likely to use them to find out um, what happened when our field members of our field crew are victimized. Uh, Post-pandemic, with the lack of positive pedestrian activity on the streets, our workers um, are, are at much greater risk of being assaulted um, by people on the street with mental illness. Um, so this, we really miss those um, other eyes and ears out there to, to help protect our workers. And this gentleman here was attacked twice in 2021. So these are um, just a few of the very, very um, courageous men and women um, on our team in 2021, most of them still with us, fortunately. They really deserve um, recognition and a tremendous amount of praise. In terms of economic development, we are really working hard to preserve what businesses um, you know, are out there. Many made it through the pandemic. Uh, so we, our marketing team has gone out to small businesses and produced um, video reels that they and we can share on social media to help attract customers. We actually currently have uh, a media campaign running in the Examiner. I hope you'll see. We just did a full page spread on uh, mid-market businesses um, on February 11th with a theme of Valentine's Day. So we're very excited about that. In 2021, we were eagerly anticipating the opening of the new Whole Foods at 8th and Market. Now we're hoping it stays. Um, it's already closing early because of um, crime and safety issues. 
We track the number of ground floor commercial uh, vacancies in the district, promote them on our website and to the brokerage community. And we try to keep all those vacancies looking good. Obviously, all that plywood um, attracts graffiti, uh, and those vacant storefronts attracts loitering. And in the case of that storefront example that I showed earlier, we were able to work with the property owner to get the front safely um, secured. And then we were uh, also able to obtain a community challenge grant to bring back this mural of Robin Williams that had originally lived across the street but went away when the property was developed. So we were very grateful to the community challenge grant program to be able to bring that back. And then we have a wonderful marketing brochure for Midmarket, which illustrates how many wonderful things are already there um, in hopes that we can attract more. Thank you. you can, oh. Are, are you going to continue okay, on the other? Continue? Sure. Yeah, sure. go right ahead. So, good morning again, Supervisors Tracy Everwine, Executive Director of the Civic Center Community Benefit District. They are two very separate uh, districts with two separate boards of directors, but uh, my team manages both for myriad reasons, cost efficiency and uh, you know, ability to advocate for both districts. Uh, at the same time, saves a lot of time for city agency staff as well. Um, so it's been a great, great partnership. So, Chris, yeah, this, this is not showing all the detail. Um, let's see. Okay, this presentation is not coming through. Okay, let me see. I'll just do the best I can here. Sorry, some of the images are missing, but this is our budget. Uh, the 76% is what we spend on cleaning, safety, and activation. 17% is administration, and 7 is marketing. Uh, this is the district, um, western border um, on the west side of Gulf. We go up to Turk Street, right by the Tenderloin School, and then along Market Street. And then we actually have some parcels on the south side of Market as well. Um, and you'll see there's only one building in here that does not pay into the CBD, and that's the um, federal building at 50 UN Plaza. These are most of, probably not all, our public realm heroes uh, working in the field in 2021. In Civic Center, we have uh, uh, ambassadors and cleaners from Street Plus. We work with Urban Alchemy uh, and the Downtown Streets team. In terms of um, cleaning and maintenance, these are the areas that we focus on. We have cleaners, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., seven days a week our community ambassadors. We have a parking garage greeter in the evening, Urban Alchemy, um, Downtown Streets team. We do a lot of pressure washing, and then we secure the Civic Center playgrounds 24 hours a day. Sorry, the stats are missing, but we have lots of stats if you ever need them. Um, we can provide those for you. Um, and then we also do some uh, landscaping. Uh, I do remember here the needle number. We um, alone removed over 30,000 needles in addition to what other city teams are removing from the public realm. So those, that still remains a tremendous issue in the district. Um, additional work um, for us in 2021 came from parklets. Parklets were wonderful, but they also added a lot of um, upkeep for us, especially the ones that were not secured overnight 
We saw a tremendous increase in retail theft, um, um, you know, especially in our Hayes, the Hayes Valley portion of our district. So we're again, we're often first on the scene, reporting this to the property owner, business owner, law enforcement, and then helping with cleanup. We had to pay special attention to our areas with um, children. So we spend a lot of time uh, up at the Tenderloin School keeping this alley clear of encampments, um, the ballet school. We struggle to keep um, public transit uh, shelters uh, free and clear of encampments. And uh, the picture on the right is the 12th Street corridor just off uh, Mission. This is beneath the, or next to the old um, Honda dealership. And these encampments actually were all people who were housed just across the street at the Civic Center Hotel. So um, this, these were their, their places to, to be out on the street. And uh, I think we're making some headway down there, but this area continues to be a challenge for us. We had a lot of increased issues um, on the street because of the safe sleeping village that was on Fulton. So um, we worked very closely with the Asian and the art museum and the library to do what we could to abate graffiti and um, you know just deal with all the additional challenges of now having you know over a hundred people living um, on the street in the village. And again, uh, UN Plaza on the right was a, a similar uh, situation. <clears throat> we um, were unable to reopen the cafe kiosk in 2021. The operator was not willing to resume business with um, city staff having not yet returned to the office. Um, however, we had um, unpermitted vendors more than happy to set up uh, in United Nations Plaza um, and sell things, um, including alcohol, which we were fortunately able to put the kibosh on pretty quickly, thanks to help from the mayor's office. And I just I wanted to point out here that um, there was a pretty pretty bad attack in UN Plaza uh, in 2021, which made made the press. And I just wanted to illustrate how many different groups it took to to triage that situation. Um, CBD ambassadors and Urban Alchemy ambassadors witnessed the situation, but they are not permitted to intervene. Um, so fortunately, it was a farmer's market day, and the farmer's market has private security who has a, more authority to attempt to um, restrain individuals in a, in a dangerous situation. And so um, the farmer's market security was alerted, and they were able to restrain someone who was attacking another person. And then the police were called, um, and they were able to detain the suspect. So it really it, it took a village to, to address the situation. In 2021, we implemented new technology which um, better tracks where our field staff are throughout the district and, and what they're doing. So again, we have amazing statistics. If you're ever interested, we can tell you exactly who did what, where, and when. So again, to promote uh, the things that were open um, in the district in 2021, uh, we launched a street banner campaign which touted our performing our arts and cultural um, offerings in the district. Again, we went out and shot um, a promotional video at small businesses and shared that on our social media, um, as did the businesses. And then we also have a pretty extensive list of 
um, businesses um, and services in the district on our website. We deployed uh, tables, chairs, and umbrellas on farmer's market days for farmer's market patrons um, to sit there. Unfortunately, um, we've recently had to pull all this away. Um, it was taken over by the illegal vendors in mid-market, so patrons couldn't sit there, and neither our ambassadors, Urban Alchemy, the farmer's market security, or the police department were able to, um, to, to remove those illegal vendors. So this is pulled away until we come up with a better solution. Um, and same thing in Civic Center Plaza, although it wasn't illegal vendors that were misusing uh, seating, we've, we've pulled it until we have um, uh, more ability to, to, to keep it safe. Um, and there's just an image of uh, our uh, ambassadors at the playground. In 2021, we had started work on a dog park in UN Plaza. It's done, and now over 2,000 people a month use it. Um, it's stewarded daily. Uh, and then um, we have to have 24-hour security for it because this is what it looks like at night and early in the morning. Uh, but the cost to secure it overnight is $200,000 a year. So we need to think about the sustainability of that going forward. Um, the dog run is, is, is a, it's not permanent, uh, and we're, we're at the juncture now where we need to decide whether it's, um, you know, it's sustainable for us to keep it or not, given the, the overnight um, cost to, to keep it secure. And uh, finally, um, we're working hard to preserve this wonderful neighborhood tradition that is the, the holiday tree lighting and toy giveaway in Civic Center Plaza. And we um, also hope to continue our holiday fanfare concerts along Van Ness um, with support from the students at the San Francisco uh, Conservatory of Music. Thank you. Thank you very much for your uh, presentation. Uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you so much, Chair Preston. Um, and thank you so much uh, for the presentation as well. And just, um, it's a lot to absorb and uh, it's a lot of photos as well, a lot of imagery. Um, I, I think out of all those imagery though, I do have some questions because I know you keep saying that you have a lot of statistic um, if we're interested. I'm definitely interested. I'm definitely interested in, um, I think I'm gonna start with the uh, Mid-Market Community Benefit District that you have presented in your presentation. Um, and definitely heads off to all the all the people that, uh, all the teams for both uh, benefit uh, districts uh, for their hard work. Um, I think uh, my interest is on your, one of your slides that specifically talk about public safety services. Mm -hmm. um, you indicated that, you know, they provide directions, referrals, resident support, social service outreach and merchant support. How do you track and if you track, and I assume you do, track those encounters, and, and what does that look like? Um, and do you also log in the wellness checks per day, um, and then emergency services call or social services offered? Is it tracked by how many times it offer or like by individuals? We track all of that. We use a system called GIA, J-I-A. And yes, so a long list. Actually, it's just one page long. But yes, we track all of that. And it is per instance, 
Okay. Okay, so we may talk to Judy, um, who's homeless on the street three times a week, but we're, we're, checking, we're checking off when we check in with her. Yes, wellness checks are recorded. Calls for emergency services are recorded. Uh, merchant interactions are recorded. Um, and then I think the other good gauge that we have is we produce a really nice pocket-sized handout with a list of uh, social services resources in the area from food to sheltered showers and employment training. And um, we produce a lot of those. And so how do they log? Like, so individual, you know, when they have an encounter, like, do they have a device that in the immediate log on, 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 them, on them? Correct, correct. They have a phone with a very user-friendly app. So it's been transformational for us to, for very easy for the staff to pull it out and, and hit a button for what they have just done. Wonderful. Uh, and okay. then it also accepts uh, photographs. So we can check how something looked before or after. Um, and it does, is that the same app applicable to both the mid-market and civic center? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think, um, were we, I can't remember which district was using it first, but yes, we, we adopted it immediately after meeting it. It is a tremendous tool. And, and that's including, because here you also mentioned about arson, you know, that you track arson. It's just really unfortunate. Um, and, and those incidents are also locked. You know, I actually don't think we have an arson <laughs> category. It's probably, um, we're going to track that through photos and a call for emergency services. I see. Yeah. But, but you do actually have a lock for call for emergency services. Oh, yes. So I would assume then probably the fire is in yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to look at your actual detail annual report here, mm -hmm. too, though, and just kind of help us understand the number of, like, emergency services that you call. Do you, and by any chance, have it with you or? I don't have it with me, but I can email it to you right after the meeting. Or if my staff's watching right now, they can get that over to you. Great. I, I think um, it, it's, uh, it's amazing. You know, it's a, it looks like it's a small but mighty team um, doing the work that they're Correct. doing. Um, it would be certainly so helpful to get stats also from from the CBDs, both for these two areas, Mid-Market and Civic Center. I think it's particularly for the list of public safety services that you indicate here. Mm -hmm. um, love to get some statistics from the app itself, mm -hmm. like to kind of help us understand, you know. Um, it would also help us understand a little bit, like if I can say, you know, uh, comparing notes with our public safety um, uh, in, agencies like fire and police and 911 dispatcher and trying to help us understand the scale of um, just, you know, volume mm -hmm. of calls and, and, and scale of incidents that require services that is being attended to both by the CBDs as well as by our um, public workers. Mm -hmm. So it will be great to have those statistics if they're available. It sounds like you have a oh, lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so we'd love to have the statistic from directly from the app um, for both the um, mid-market and civic center. Sure. Thank Happy to provide so those. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. Um, I have some questions um, as well. First, let, let me just start. You mentioned this in passing, but I want to highlight um, and express my appreciation for uh, one of your ambassadors who is out there every morning uh, in front of, uh, or in, in, and on Elm, as uh -huh. you mentioned, 
in what's been a really remarkable um, collaboration, both between between him, Stefan, mm -hmm. and uh, and a uh, parent there who uh, formerly had a student at the Tenderloin. Uh, community school and is no longer has a student has a kid there but who shows up every morning I think the two of them at 6 a.m. or something like that are out there uh, every day um, and you know I've been out there with them and just the 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 kindness that they show for folks uh, who are struggling and 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 in that alleyway and and really sort of unnoticed by by anyone except the folks at that school uh, at the crack of dawn every day mm -hmm. um it's really it's it's been pretty remarkable so uh kudos to him and i'm sure you've got other stories of individual ambassadors doing similar things you mm -hmm. know in in uh, in other areas we of do. the district yeah so appreciate you elevating their work uh, in the slides um I had some questions from the, the presentation, some more specific things. One is the, um, uh, the tables, umbrellas out on UN Plaza that you mentioned. When was that functioning and then when was it disbanded? We, took, we stopped putting tables out the end of January. This year? Mm -hmm, of this year, yeah. And how, how long a period was that tried for? Oh, um, gosh, when did we, uh, so all of, I think it was probably half of 2021 and all of 2022. Okay. Um, it became, yeah, it, it became unmanageable um, with the increased, um, or I should say the inability, increased inability of the police department to ask loiterers to move. Got it. And then the dog run that you mentioned there, what is the 200,000 a Ooh. year cost that you reference? Is that for just... on-site security personnel all night? Is yeah. that oh, overnight? Yeah. Overnight. So um, what are they? They're 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. I see. And is there a plan regarding the dog run going forward? And you mentioned you might have to approach it differently I'm, I'm we yeah we'll need to i mean we we need to start fundraising first to support that i don't think we thought we'd have to continue it um we, we did it in the beginning as a precaution when when the park was new and we were learning how it would be used and treated and maintained but the issues have only gotten worse so it's it's apparent to us now it needs it needs stewardship overnight um, so a fundraising uh, campaign is definitely in order, um, but I think that's a lot of money to raise for a very small place. So I think we're going to need to come up with some other creative solutions if we want to keep it. Thank you. Um, the um, Just stepping back for a second on UN Plaza, and UN Plaza, my understanding is it's that's in that's right on the border of these two uh, right. CBDs, right? So right. it's it's in technically in the mid mid market one, right? It's, the, it's it, no, it's technically it's, in Civic Center, but that's where the two districts meet. Okay, got it. And and um, so, what is the can can you give us any update on what the plan is for UN Plaza? I see a lot of um, 
chatter about different sort of reactions to things in, in Civic Center Plaza, I will say mm -hmm. our office is often the last to know when you know, the, suddenly the administration decides they're gonna close UN Plaza at a different hour or do those kind of things. Um, so uh, to, to date, we have not been made aware of any actual planning for beyond you know what we've seen so far in terms mm -hmm. of increased police presence uh, ambassador presence mm -hmm. uh, and earlier closure of plans for UM Plaza obviously this is in the heart of of the CBD area so I'm I'm wondering if you can shed light on any current discussions or plans uh, for uh, for UM Plaza So I, I do have an, an interesting visual that I can share with you that our office put together when we took over the plaza uh, in 2020 uh, from the Tenderloin CBD. Um, there are so many public agencies with jurisdiction over UN Plaza, it's mind-boggling. The good news is they are all talking right now about what can be done out there um, with conditions being so exponentially worse just within the past three months, uh, three to six months. So I'm definitely hearing bits and pieces from different departments um, when it will all coalesce into um, a formal message, I don't know, but hopefully we will be the first to know and I will certainly make sure that your office um, is aware. Um, and, but, you know, the word, I, I know that they're, they're trying to figure out how best to move forward given uh, law enforcement staffing shortages, um, the ability of, uh, inability of ambassador groups to really have an impact without law enforcement support. Um, Public Works is, is trying really hard to address the illegal vending issues but they cannot do that without support from law enforcement. Um, so, uh, and then the Recreation and Park Department um, has been instrumental with giving us uh, extra support from the Park Ranger Program uh, at the dog park. Uh, I know they were called a couple of times this week for fires set at the dog park overnight. Um, so, so everyone is talking, which is such a good thing. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a, such a big problem. Uh, it's it's going to take some time, but we are pushing almost daily uh, for some sort of a, a cohesive plan forward. So we'll be sure to Thank share you. that with you. Thank you. And and look, I I am it's be, it, beyond you know this report and this hearing, so I don't want to go too far in this. But I, I will say it is a good sign if multiple agencies are talking and if you're part of those conversations. I will push back on the everyone is talking because what I will say is. Our office not involved, has not been included in any of this, and all the people we represent who have very strong feelings and who have worked, you know, a lot of residents of the Tenderloin who have worked over the years putting forward different plans, ideas, um, to my knowledge have been largely excluded from this conversation. That is not your responsibility. I, I want to point that out, but uh, it's, it's good to know some of these conversations are happening, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think it is uh, essential that we're not only including uh, Board of Supervisors, but also including uh, a lot of residents who may not be um, 
you know, on the board of or a staff of the the yeah. um, the, the two CBDs. We area. yeah, we share your concerns. We are often the last to know on certain things as well, um, and, and not being included in very important conversations is is a problem. So, it, please let yeah, please let me know. You know, anyone you would like to make sure is included in any discussions, we may have the ability to, to bring them into. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. Um, on the, um, looking for a second at the, um, and, 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 and let me thank you for, I mean, we've had, uh, you've provided us information uh, in conversations before the, the hearing we met, and, and I think we've been trying to, um, I've been trying a little bit to wrap my brain around the structure on the Civic Center one, uh, Civic Center CBD is fairly unique of the CBDs that, that, you, that we see in that the city is a major property owner within that uh, CBD. And so, um, so my understanding is that, it, that the, the city not only has seats on the, um, and appointees on the CBD board, um, but also the city itself is, is assessed and paying into um, the, the, the CBD and accounts for about, um, or at least in 2019, according to the OEDWD uh, data, in 2019 accounted for, for just over 30% of the revenues uh, for, for that uh, CBD. And, and maybe I should just start with that. Is that it, I, I assume that's a pretty stable number and that's, that's the case. I don't know. This yeah. covers the 2021. So, yeah, that's the, pretty stable. The revenue is about 30 percent. Yeah, so we're not as long as you're not demolishing any buildings or building new ones. Right. It should be stable. Right, right. And so, so I think you know wh what came up, and I just wanted to to address it here. But again, we've discussed this um, offline here. But um, is is the role of the um, the city appointees and especially as issues come up that may be legislation before the board or, or matters of policy that may be uh, contentious uh, matters um, and this came up you know most recently I think around the um, the uh, Tenderloin Center in particular uh, where the uh, Civic Center CBD uh, submitted a letter uh, call, backing essentially the, the mayor's position of closure of the Tenderloin Center while the Board of Supervisors was adopting at that time a resolution taking a different position and saying that we should have a new center open before uh, we shut down the Tenderloin Center. Um, I, I wanted to, to ask you a little and get your thoughts on this. It strikes me that we have and maybe we can just start with the basics of how how many folks on the board, right, are are city appointees? Two. Let me just pull out my. City up uh, the city um, administrator's office can appoint two. And then we have some others just um, through the regular uh, board approval process, such as um, a representative from the um, 
Asian Art Museum. So, so, so there's, um, there's two appointed by city administrator? Correct. And that's representing the library and the war memorial? Correct. Buildings? Correct. And then the additional? We have an additional, uh, someone from the Asian Art Museum. Got it. Thank you. And, and then when we discussed the um, just potential issues around them voting on the, these mm -hmm. kind of uh, positions on legislation, um, in our meeting, I think you, you indicated that, they, um, that there's a conflict of interest policy. You forwarded that to us, mm -hmm. uh, and that your understanding was that, that they would recuse themselves from those kind of votes. Um, I wanted to follow up on that, because from the, the minutes that you forwarded, it doesn't look like they did, or maybe something's off in the minutes. I just wanted you to clarify you know, whether something that is subject to a, a legislative action before the board and you have these mm -hmm. city appointees sitting on the CBD board, uh, do they, are they supposed to be voting mm -hmm. on those matters or recusing themselves and what light can you shed on that? Yeah, so yeah, so I forwarded um, some language from our, um, our council's office, um, which clearly explains that uh, any of our board members sitting on our board, regardless of who their employer is, have a fiduciary um, responsibility uh, and a duty of care to do what's best for our organization. Uh, so if they themselves perceive a conflict, then that needs to be disclosed and they should recuse themselves. Um, but similarly, uh, you know, the the rest of the board members should identify that there is a potential conflict and could um, recommend that the individual recuse themselves. So um, there, any board member, um, and actually Chris just reminded me, and we also have um, two other city staffers on our board who are also attorneys um, and who have consulted the city attorney's office uh, quite extensively um, before even joining on our before even joining our board to understand what their um, duties and obligations are, um, and that is to uh, do what's best uh, for the organization and its mission. So, I, I understand they have their own fiduciary duties and they need, would need to check with city attorney about legality. And, and certainly we're all familiar if there's like a financial interest that they might have to mm -hmm. um, recuse themselves. I, I, I think I'm trying to get a more specific, like are they expected to recuse, if, if there is legislation before the board and the CBD is weighing in on that, do the city appointees still participate? Are they, are they expected to vote or not? vote on those things. I, I'm not saying there is a legal conflict. I'm just trying to mm -hmm. understand get, because my, when, we, when we met, I thought that, they, that the, the city appointees were staying, were staying out of those kind of votes. But when I look at the minutes, at least when the Tenderloin Center one came up, they're all voting for it. In fact, in fact I think they made the motion to approve it. It was a city. So you have this. Yeah, if they, if they, if they feel as though they can be fair and impartial, they can vote. Um, I, 
I'm, I think, again, th this, this probably goes beyond this particular report. I think this is something that it is worth our city looking at and thinking about of some more explicit mm -hmm. um, guidance. And what I see is, is a bit of a pattern in some ways that, you know, I will say differs a little bit from what I see in other CBDs of pretty active involvement by the C CBD and effectively lobbying for things where there is not necessarily consistency, consistent views, you know, uh, across across government. So it's a strange thing where we have city paying a third of the revenues, basically, of the CBD, occupying a handful of seats, all of which represent um, different arms of the administration, and then voting for the CBD to then lobby the Board of Supervisors on matters that may be contested between the Board of Supervisors mm -hmm. and the administration. Mm -hmm. um, if you care to share any thoughts, that would be great. Again, I, I think it may be more a policy matter uh, that the board should, uh, or, or the administration should sort through on what kind of, whether that's appropriate uh, or not. And again, I'm not suggesting a legal violation of any kind with mm -hmm. that. So I, I don't know if you wanted to, yeah, so the, the, yeah. This, the, the structure predates me. So this, the district was formed in 2011. So yeah, but happy to um, have uh, you know, our council and our board work with uh, the city attorney's office to help you know, uh, get some more clarity around that structure. And um, I know um, there are other CBDs with um, city staff on their board as well. So we could probably glean some, some insight from them as well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the, uh, yeah, part of the problem is here, there's also in the correspondence board approved from the, the CBD, and this is the Civic Center CBD, not the mid-market, um, is really, I think, a very, let's just say a very negative characterization of the work <laughs> that another department's doing, right? I mean, so you have DPH standing up the Tenderloin Center, and then we have the CBD writing kind of a scathing letter about the Tenderloin Center alleged impacts in the area and requesting its, its closure. So, um, I, I just, it, it strikes me, I mean, the CBD is entitled to voice its opinion on this. I'm just a little concerned by what issues the, the uh, CBD is choosing to weigh in on and which ones not weighing in on, um, and that that seems to very much reflect the will of uh, an administration that has multiple members on that body. For, for example, you know, you have slides of tents and talk about engagement. Like, I didn't see a letter from the Civic Center CBD during this period of time in 2021 saying, please ramp up the SIP hotel program so that we have more places to move people from, like, I didn't see that in the minutes. I didn't see that come before the board. I didn't see a letter from the CBD asking for that, mm -hmm. even though I think most of us would probably agree that that would have provided better tools for your ambassadors and others who are engaging with people who are homeless within the CBD, but we don't see that letter. Now, and again, 
that's not a position that the administration wanted to take, that the mayor wanted to take, or probably that the several city-appointed representatives on the CBD wanted to take. It is a position that would have alleviated some, some of the issues on the, on the street. So um, may, maybe I'll just, I'll just ask, like in terms of selecting which things from, in terms of city policies and legislation, the CBD is going to weigh in on, right? Who decides that? Like, why are we not getting letters around certain types of solutions and things that the Board of Supervisors puts forward or advocates put forward, but we are getting letters around mm -hmm. increased funding for police, closing the Tenderloin Center, uh, and other things that are uh, controversial and are high priorities uh, of the mayor? Yeah, we do a very good job of uh, staying in our lane and um, reacting to things that are under our purview. Um, and so we do have a um, number of letters that we've written over the years um, in support of um, things like shelter and um, care courts, mental health support. Uh, most recently, we have um, reacted uh, to um, the uh, Place for All um, initiative as an example. So we do have those letters that we can, we can share with you. Um, so there, we're, gonna, we're gonna react and comment on things um, that uh, are related to our mission. And just as a reminder, this is, um, you know, we, we're not in the business to um, do as much um, advocacy and lobbying as we've been um, forced to do over the past two years. Um, we are, our mission, our, you know, our budget is really for prov the provision of services for clean and safe. Um, we have very little staff capacity for, for advocacy uh, and lobbying. So um, the sooner we can move away from, as, the, you know, as much of that as we've had to do these past two years, the better. Um, but we are absolutely, um, concerned about the lack of um, shelter space, uh, permanent affording housing space, um, the ability to um, get people into care who can't um, get themselves there. Um, so we are you know, happy to you know look through sort of what we've what we've provided over the past um, two years overall and share that with you. Are, are you, is the CBD being asked to provide these letters by the administration? Oh, I think sometimes we, we hear from, um, we hear from outside sources that, that an initiative is, is being introduced and it's in line with our mission and asking for our opinion on that. Okay, I, I, I will, I will just leave it at this, on, on, on this point, because I think the Tenderloin Center, it, the way that was handled, I think is very concerning to me to 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 advocate for the closure, not support the efforts of the board of supervisors to ensure that there was a replacement facility. You are seeing the results, as you said. Things have gotten worse in the th last three months. That's after we. That's because we closed the center that 400 people were going to. And again, it's it's what's concerning. I think for the the neutrality and and the perception and trust in the CBD is 
if you're going to weigh into these waters, and I, I don't think there's any prohibition on you taking position on city policies, and don't get me wrong on that, but it's, it, it, does, it appears to, to only be happening on controversial matters where and in support of a position that the mayor's taken. And that's the concern, like, right, I just would expect that if we're getting a letter saying we don't want the Tenderloin Center here because of X, Y, and Z, why are we not getting a letter that supports the board's effort to have a replacement center so that you don't have 400 people a day displaced onto UN Plaza? That would seem like a high priority for, for Civic Center. So I don't question your and the board's right to do advocacy. I mm -hmm. am concerned um, with, what, with what it seems to be um, selective advocacy and caused me concern as to, to why that is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so we, we welcome outreach from, say, your staff um, to, to make us aware of things that you would like to see. So just, let's just work on that communication going forward. I think that'll make a big difference. Thank you. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair. Um, I, uh, with that, I just want to quickly confirm, since we were on this conversation around Civic Center, um, CBD, um, particularly around board directors, I think one question is for you, and then perhaps another question is really for Mr. Corcus and help us understand just generally how CBDs actually runs with their board directors. And in this case, because what we have on record, though, in terms of annual report is from 2021, um, so if I could just, I'm reading off from what I am seeing right now, if you can just confirm, I know it's probably hard on top of your head to confirm your board directors, from what I can see from the list, I, as I'm identifying as uh, what we would identify as city staff or city workers or city representative, will be, I think, John Calden from San Francisco War Memorial and Performing Arts Center, uh, Tom Fortin from San Francisco Public Library, Phil Ginsburg from San Francisco Recreation and Park Department, and then I'm seeing, um, uh, and also Kellen McAldo, um, Mm -hmm. Aldeni, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, mm -hmm. butchering the name. San Francisco, also from San Francisco Public Library, and then and, uh, Andrico Penick from San Francisco's Real Estate uh, Division. Mm -hmm. So that's that's quite a bit of a list. And then um, in, in in this though, uh, you also have listed, or or your team has listed, uh, key partners shaping district policy, programming, and infrastructure. It's a whole list of really city departments. Mm -hmm. Of course, you mm -hmm. also included like Homeland Security. There's one on the last one. I'm not too sure what you meant by United States of America, <laughs> but, but it's listed there. Yeah. I'm not too sure what it is, but it's listed. So, so I, I think it's sort of piggyback on what Chair Preston has talked about. It, it feels like, you know, I think at, at times when we think about CBD is the expectation that in a partnership really for with our merchants and, and property owners um, who want to have a say about dictating their dollars in terms of like partnership with city and city services. In a situation like this when we see, you know, perhaps heavy influence from the government itself and city government itself, so just trying to understand a little bit better about, you know, is this true to the intent of you know, the original intent of the establishment of a CBD. Mm -hmm. um, and is there independence of, you know, opinions and ideas about how actually the city government can do better from the board directors who actually provide some of those direction. So the names that I read off and um, city departments, 
how how do they come about to become the the members of the board directors? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when a CBD is formed, or uh, uh, the member members from within the geographic area um, have to be represented. Mm -hmm. um, so I was not here back in 2011 when this district was originally formed, but um, you know it was a lead from the city that was on that committee, actually two leads from that city. It was like John Updike from the city and- um, Which is our former real estate director. Right, mm -hmm. right. So he was one of the founding members that helped put together the Makes management sense. plan and the board composition. Um, but we, we renewed in 2019, and so we had that process all over again. Yeah. So at, at the table were residents and um, representatives from the city, representatives from the state of California. Yeah. Um, now, the United States of America, that relates to one building. Okay. It's so weird we had to put it in the annual report, but it's 50 United Nations Plaza. While they don't pay into the district, right. um, federal buildings will not pay into CBDs. So right. in mid-market, we have the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the federal building, they don't pay into the district. But they do collaborate with us, um, and we, we share resources. So um, they're a good partner. But... Um, Everybody's at the table, and um, to be honest, I think when this, when uh, Civic Center was uh, renewing, there was a lot of resistance from the the neighborhood and the residents having so much city, um, so many city representatives on the board. Yeah, so, okay. but um, but they're there for a reason, um, and the, the state of California uh, is almost as big a stakeholder as the city and county of San Francisco. So they mandated representation on the board as well. And so we have this very complicated matrix of um, board, you know, wh who comprises the board. So I can share that with you as well. So um, yeah, so I think we, and we, and I can't remember, sorry, exactly how many seats the city administrator gets to fill, but we don't have a limit on how many city representatives can sit on the board. Mm. Um, the most important thing is that we have the knowledge and the expertise that's going to help strengthen our organization. So we love folks with financial experience, real estate experience, law experience. Um, those are the things we're looking for. Yeah, I, I see that. You have Bill Whitfield for sure seen for both your mid-market and your um, civic center yes. CBDs. So I, if I may direct his questions to Mr. Yeah. Kogars. And um, I think the question is that, you know, again, the, the intent of CBDs in general all across is that our property owners, our merchants, um, uh, commercial property owners, I should say, you know, and, and pop, uh, that they actually, and residential property owners have some say in terms of how the dollars are actually allocated that to also with city partners to mandate certain level of city services. That's, it's above a baseline. And that is really the governing rule of, of CBDs. And so is there any, could you actually educate me um, about, you know, just the, the, the bylaws or the right now that just what's in place about what it's dictating and the makeup of the board directors for all CBDs, not, not just particularly these two. Sure, Supervisor Chan. So 
For each CBD, they have their own unique bylaws for each CBD. So 15 property-based CBDs, you're going to have 15 different sets of bylaws, which are going to have different ways of operating their board. That is their right as uh, independent entities of the city and county of San Francisco. In Article 15 of the Business and Tax Regulations Code, it specifically states that 20% of the seats for any board, so that's 20% out of whatever the total number is, have to be for non-property-owning merchants. So think of that as um, a tenant merchant. Um, working with the city attorney previously, that could also be a tenant nonprofit, for instance. Um, but that's what the language is in Article 15. Um, that is the only statutory uh, level in San Francisco in terms of board makeup. After that, um, these are called owners associations. Um, the best advice would be that the rate payers, in this case the property owners, be at least 50% of the governing board of a CBD. It can be more, could be less, but best advice would be at least 50%. Um, in some instances, it's more. In some instances, less. In some instances, that 20% for non-property-owning merchants is actually more like 30. Um, and then remaining seats can be allocated to other community stakeholders, um, just depending on what that neighborhood and what that CBD is doing. So it really depends on the specifics of the CBD. And if it's articulated in their management plan, some of them have a very robust set of rules that are go before the uh, the rate-paying voters as well as the Board of Supervisors when they're established. Others are a little more vague and that's um, articulated in their bylaws. Thank you. I think that uh, also the challenge and, and just what just came to my mind in terms of about CDB, uh, CBDs and uh, you know about uh, community benefit districts and what um, Chair Preston also just articulating both between sort of this partnership with the city for just really city services and programming and thinking about um, just focusing on, on that end as a partners uh, on those issues and then versus about uh, I would say um, advocacy work, policy advocacy work, right? And that's a different direction and city services policy and then it's the reason why sometimes we have conversation about um, even city grants providing to 501c4 versus 501c3 um, we understand 501c3 is typically provide direct services and programming as a nonprofit 501c4 will then actually have sometimes actually have a, a policy advocacy role and typically we would want them to we, we would really drive toward 501c3. Now, in this case, because they are community benefit districts, they do not fit into any of those categories. So some CBDs are 501c3s, some are um, other 501c sections. Um, many years ago when there was that kerfuffle at the IRS in terms of some um, entities not being able to get their 501c3 designation, folks were under a different 501c designation. To my knowledge, most, if not all, of the CBDs in San Francisco are 501c3s. Thank you. And I'm happy to confirm that. Great. Thank you. We'd, we'd love to just have a little better understanding, and I think that will really help us to better understand how they need to operate uh, in terms of their interaction with the city. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, um, Mr. Corgus, and um, I, I would just, just before we go to public comment, uh, I. Do, I do want to say uh, we got into some of the weeds and, and I don't want to lose sight of um, the fact that there is a lot of important work happening in a very 
uh, challenging part of, uh, of our city, part of District 5 and District 6. Um, and, um, and look forward, um, Ms. Everwine, to, to working with you and the CBD um, to work on a lot of these issues and challenges. And I think, you know, obviously with redistricting, uh, you know, our, 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 our office, we're just sort of starting, we, we, we don't have a lot of CBDs in the, in the pre-redistricting part of uh, District 5. In fact, we just had the Japantown CBD, that was it. Um, and now have been working closely with a number of CBDs and just would like to uh, see the, the lines of communication, um, you know, more open. You've been great about, uh, uh, you know, when we ask around something, and, um, but, but as different things come up, whether it's the dog park, whether it's, uh, you know, arson happening, whether it's an attack on an ambassador, to please um, uh, just want to invite you to communicate with, with, with our office, let us know, um, and also around some of the planning efforts. So as we talked about uh, earlier in the hearing, we can make sure that some of the, the residents who you know, are regularly talking with our office and, and expressing opinions on these very topics are also um, part of, of those discussions. So I'd, li I'd like to see what is sometimes a challenge in this city, which is a more collaborative approach overall that is not directed at you, is directed at, you know, I think a lot of the the agencies and departments that are, are working on these things, and I think sometimes assume there's a level of consultation with community members and stakeholders that's, that's not always uh, happening. Uh, I, I would ask that the board, to the extent that the CBD board is going to weigh in, which I think is their right to do so, um, to, to just have some self-reflection around, uh, around what seems to be, a, as I've mentioned, a bit of a pattern around sort of how the selectivity around what uh, they're weighing in on what they're not weighing in on um, is is done because certainly how it's received, I, I will say, at least by this supervisor, is um, that at times that it's sort of an extension of the lobbying arm of the administration as opposed to uh, a, a more organic um, weighing in on the, the range of things that, that impact. Um, and I think that applies to um, you know, I would say it all applies to the most recent round around, you know, the letter we received from the CBD around the $27 million in increased police funding, um, which is certainly, you know, a controversial matter. And uh, I, I personally, you know, am, am not convinced that the increased dollars will make any difference whatsoever uh, in the areas of the, the CBD where uh, we've heard, you know, the administration announced a huge ramping up of policing starting back in October, and yet we're hearing the last three to six months it's worse than it's ever been. You can barely walk, you know, I mean, there's, you can, you run into cop all the time now on UN Plaza and, and, and the surrounding areas. So I, I would just, again, it would be great to open the lines of communication and discussing what the needs are and, and what some of these things to deliver as opposed to where it seems like sometimes things are weighing in, which is just the hot button advocacy thing at the moment, which is close Tenderloin Center, ramp up the $27 million extra for police, um, and, uh, and, and we, we, can, we may not see the issues the same way, but hopefully we can um, collaborate on some shared, uh, shared objectives and improving mm -hmm. uh, the Definitely. neighborhood. So, yeah, please, have your, your team's yep. great. Have them reach out to us yep. proactively. We're, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yep. so, uh, seeing no other questions or, or comments from colleagues, let's open up public comment on items one and two. 
Thank you, Mr. Chair. Before we go to public comment, I'd like to let those that are watching us today know that the full presentation for items one and two with visible graphics is available via the board file number links on today's agenda and can be found by visiting sfbos.org forward slash committees and clicking the government audit and oversight committee agendas and minutes link or by visiting the legislative calendar. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for items one and two? Remote public call-in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. As a reminder, each speaker will be allotted two minutes for their comments. Seeing no one in the chamber for public comment, we'll move to our remote call-in number. Mr. Shaveri, can you please forward the first caller? So supervisors, <coughs> The United Nations Plaza, in 1945, when the charter was signed, that's a very important area. With our city, when they opened the Tenderloin Center, made into a mess, a filthy mess. So the Community Benefit District has Carmen Chu, who's the city administrator. I want to know what role has she played in understanding the importance of the United Nations Plaza to our visitors and our city and county of San Francisco. And then the area in front of City Hall, which belongs to Rack and Park, 30 as ever, the United Nations Plaza, 30 as ever, across Market Street where Whole Foods is filthy as ever. And we have one of you supervisors, and you know who you are, giving a lot of commentary on 501 and this and that. That BS must stop. If you want action, take a broom and clean the United Nations Plaza. As to DPW, you know, 25% of the FTEs are not filled. If you look at our police department, their, their strength is 2,000, they are about 900. And what we are doing is giving them $27 million more for overtime. Supervisors, a time has come to get a grip on how y'all are managing our city. Our city is going to the hogs. Not the dogs, the hogs. And I apologize I for interrupting the speaker today. Your time has elapsed. Thank you for your comments. There are no other speakers in the queue. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, and uh, seeing no one on the roster, uh, thank you again to uh, OEWD um, and Mr. Corgus and uh, also uh, to Ms. Everwine. Um, and Ms. Haraki as well at OAWD. Thank you for your work on the reports. Uh, and uh, let's go ahead and I will move to send items one and two to the full board with recommendation. And would you like those to be heard and filed as well? What's that? For, forward to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion, Vice Chair Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie I. Member Chan. Aye. Chan I. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Any further business before the committee? There's no further business. Thank you.
Thank you very much. We are adjourned.